When people ask you what happened here, tell them the North remembers. Tell them winter came for House Frey. Welcome back. We are back with another edition of the Fantasy 40 Podcast with myself, John Abari, my co-host, Matt Walker, and as always, brought to you by our friends at Expand the Box Score. So, we are uh, making our way through these divisional breakdowns. Last week, we went through the NFC East. Now, we are heading uh, counterclockwise on the compass and heading to the NFC North. Uh, The East had some duds, and then, obviously, the biggest pop of all with walks Philadelphia Eagles. Um, So now we're kind of in a division that historically has kind of been going through Green Bay, but now it's some big changes there. It's hard to say kind of who's the favorite now. Kind of a big mishmash of yuck in the middle here. But Walk, how are you? And where would you like to start this? I am strangely excited about this episode I, I i've always had an affinity it's interesting north yeah, to say I mean, the least there's no one that's you know the clear front runner in in my opinion i mean this is a division that's like remaking it's actively remaking itself yeah right right in front of us um which is interesting so last episode we went from from the bottom to the top i think this would be a little bit harder to accomplish because i think there's a lot of middle here and, and open for interpretation i can't tell you who, how I have these teams statted out in our, in our win loss projections. I, I honestly have no clue. I do know I nailed Minnesota right on the fucking head last year when I said that they were going to win the division <laughs> and they ran away with it and then collapsed in epic fashion. Um, but this year I, I'm pretty sure I have the Lions winning the division and then I have the you rest do. of them probably within a game of each other. I, I would assume. Uh, no. No. Two games, but. Two games, yeah. Fair enough. That's <laughs> pretty much exactly what I was saying. So since I don't have the team at the top, I will go first, hoping that you reserve that spot for the eventual NFC North champions to talk about them last. So I have a whole bunch of the middle, and one is far less exciting to talk about, in my opinion. So I'm just going to get them out of the way. The Green Bay Packers, they did Absolutely. You talk about, you know, previous episodes where teams not doing anything in free agency, nothing <laughs> like literally like just no one, no one to reference on the offensive side of the ball. As far as free agency, they, they gave Jordan love a, a faux deal to keep him around for potentially one more year, I guess. Yeah. You know, that's, <laughs> but he still wasn't a free agent. So nothing, but in the draft, they attacked it like never seen in the Ro- Aaron Rodgers error. Right. They go and get Luke Musgrave at 211. Then they tap Jaden Reed, who we were both high on at 219. Tucker Kraft, a favorite of mine, unfortunately, 315. He's just going to be potentially blocked by Musgrave. Sean Clifford, yuck at 515. I'll never understand that pick. We were talking about making poor picks in the sixth round for quarterbacks in, in previous podcasts, using a fifth round pick on Sean Clifford, who will never play a snap in the NFL. 
is beyond me. Dontavian Wicks, another big body with upside at 525. Lou Nichols, who I actually liked, 718. Then they end the draft throwing a dart at Grant DuBose. Small school, big body prospect. Has like a Devin Funches vibe to him, to me, who was a Packer for a minute. They were just throwing darts left, right, and center in this draft, trying to hit on some offensive firepower. And it's because there's just there's they're, they're, they need it. They have nothing. You know, they have nothing in their tight end room. They're super shallow since Aaron Rodgers just poached all the receivers away from Green Bay and took them to New York with them in Alan Lazard and, and Randall Cobb. I mean, there's just a void there. I mean, the only proven pass catcher in that offense is Romeo Dubs, you know, from, from last year. So they had a huge need and they attacked it in the draft. I think they probably could have spent a little free agency money on, on trying to handle that as well. But I like a lot of the players that they picked. They won eight games in 2022. Their win total is seven and a half games at minus 120 in Caesars this year. So Vegas season is largely a similar team from a win-loss perspective as they were last year. So let's do a little bit of a history here. And it's Aaron Rodgers was drafted with the 24th pick in the 2005 NFL draft and sat three seasons behind Brett Favre before Brett Favre was inevitably traded to the New York Jets in 2008. Jordan Love was drafted with the 26th pick two picks later in the 2020 NFL draft and sat three seasons behind Aaron Rodgers before Aaron Rodgers was inexplicably traded to the New York Jets in 2023. Is history going to repeat itself here with the Green Bay Packers having a third long-time answer at quarterback that was not the clear starter when this all started? This one was supposed to be Brett Favre. Brett Favre started his career in Atlanta. You know, this, it's just... What yeah. Green Bay could potentially accomplish here if Jordan Love is above average, you know, which is still to be seen, but he's had time to marinate and grow, which quarterbacks don't get anymore in this league. Um, so very interested to see what they do this year. I already stated they did everything they could to throw shit against the wall as far as offensive skill position players in this draft. Dynamic duo tight end. I like Musgrave and Kraft. I think, you know, in, in yeah. all personnel – an interesting paradigm for them. And then Reed, who I think is going to be a great slot receiver. If you have Christian Watson and Romeo dubs on the outside and you, you drop Jaden Reed into a slot. I mean, there's, you know, Aaron Jones in the backfield with AJ Dillon, a quality offensive line. Like they <laughs> sounds good. Doesn't it? It's going to be interesting. This if year. Love can, you just said it. If love, if can, love be. can captain this ship, you know, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be an interesting season for these green Bay Packers. I'd love to see them run more 12 personnel. they, Barely did it in the post Rogers era. So, or during in during the Rogers uh, era, they haven't had a single tight end exceed 650 snaps since Jimmy Graham did it in 2018, 2019. It's just not a position that they feature. I mean, it's no. more of an extra blocker on the line than it really is a proven pass catcher. Whether that was a product of Aaron Rodgers or the system, I'm going to say it was Aaron Rodgers because this was before. Um, Name drawing a blank. Their head coach was there. He wasn't there in 2018. So I'm going to say this is more an Aaron Rodgers thing than anything else. So why draft two tight ends that high if you're not playing the utilizer? LaFleur. There you go. Matty LaFleur. Um, cram it up your cram hole, LaFleur. Yeah. So Packers won eight games with Aaron Rodgers under center and projected a seven and a half uh, with the juice on the over this year. So um, tells me all I need to know. They're a better team post Aaron Rodgers than they were pre-Aaron Rodgers. So tell me where I had them landing in the win-loss total this year. 
we we both have them at eight. There we go. The when over. you went through, <laughs> when, you, when you went through the historical uh, comparison between the the Favre Rogers and Love eras, uh, all I can keep wondering is, do we see Aaron Rodgers at some point quarterback the Minnesota Vikings? <laughs> go go the mean, complete it, listen, Favre route. It, it, it's it's possible, I guess. He's, he only he tore up his contract and signed a two year deal uh, with those. Look, jets. Two years, cousins. Yeah. Cousins signs a a one year to, <laughs> after he this one. Bridge cousins right back to Aaron Rodgers, so he can mm. finish his career in the purple. Yeah, would be I mean, amazing. It, it's just too on the nose. I mean, it's it's eerie, uh, like how this is all literally just you know. Time is a flat circle. Yeah, it's crazy. Just <laughs> <laughs> All right. I am going to go to a team that I am looking forward to trashing a bit here. The Chicago Bears. Who did they add in free agency this year? They added backup quarterback P.J. Walker, who I th- – he's not a guy who's going to be able to mentor fields, but I do kind of like – his style similar to Fields a bit. Uh, they brought in Travis Homer, uh, Robert Tunyon, and Deonta Foreman. So it added a little depth in the running back room there. Um, Tanyan adds a lot to the tight end room, which was a bit lacking behind Komet a year ago. Who did they lose in free agency? Uh, David Montgomery left, went to the rival Detroit Lions. They lost last year's backup, Trevor Simeon at quarterback, Byron Pringle, which means nothing. Um, and still unsigned, former first-round bust, Nikhil Harry. No longer on the Bears, no longer on any roster where he probably <laughs> belongs. Um, looking at what they did in the draft, and this is going to tie into my Bears bashing shortly. Uh, they had the first overall pick, traded out of that, went down to nine. Again, traded out of that, went down to ten, where they took an offensive tackle. Not the best offensive tackle in the draft at that point, but who cares? They got a guy that they wanted. Second round, they took a defensive tackle. Uh, another second round pick, they got a cornerback. First pick of the third round went back to the well at defensive tackle. So they know they needed help at defensive tackle, which we'll circle back to at that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Fourth round, 13 pick. A guy we both liked, Rashawn Johnson, lands with the Bears. I, I mean, he doesn't have a ton of competition ahead of him on this depth chart. Uh, he could end up uh, – the Bears have a pretty good history of younger uh, rookie backs coming in and having a roll right out of the gate before they are ceremoniously discarded. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out with Johnson. Uh, fourth round, 31st overall pick. Another guy we liked was Tyler Scott coming in. They need help at wide receiver – as good a spot as any for him, in my opinion. Uh, then in the fifth round, took a linebacker. Fifth round again, another cornerback. Seventh round, their third defensive tackle of this draft. And then in the seventh round, 41st overall pick, another defensive back. So in this draft, they took three defensive tackles. So they knew it was a position of need for them. The Bears have arguably the worst pass rush in the NFL. So with that first overall pick, they could have taken Anderson out of Alabama, who was thought by many to be a generational pass rush talent. 
or uh, the defensive tackle from uh, Georgia, Reed, who ended up with your e- – no, his name wasn't – is his name Reed? I'm getting mixed up here. Oh. Yes? What the who? tackle? The, the tackle the Eagles took at nine. Oh, Carter. Carter, Jesus. All right. So he was thought by many to be the best defensive tackle in the draft, who the Bears could have also added at first. So the Bears traded out of number one. They got DJ Moore. They got number nine, number 61, a first next year, and a second in 2025. So not a terrible haul to move back eight spots, but now they're not looking at uh, Anderson anymore. And and Carter, you're thinking, isn't going to be there at nine. Then Carter is still there at nine. Defensive tackle, position they obviously needed based on what they did in the draft. They trade to your stinking Eagles and move back one spot to take not the best offensive tackle in the draft and a fourth next year. The Bears passed twice on <laughs> arguably generational defensive players in positions they needed help at. If they thought they needed help at defensive tackle, I could see them passing on Carter. But then to triple tap the fucking position in the draft and hoping <laughs> one of them is decent when you could have had a guy – who I think universally people thought of as the best overall player in this draft. Obviously, you don't historically teams don't burn the first overall pick on defensive tackle. The edge was probably the smarter move. But yeah, just I I, I don't know. I think the the Bears kind of outsmarted themselves here. It, looking at the haul they got, I mean. DJ Moore adds a weapon for Fields, so I get it. But then to, to still have Carter sitting there at nine and to not pull the trigger when you took three defensive tackles after that is just crazy to me. I don't like what they did in the draft. I'm not a fan of their free agency, really. I mean, nothing. They're just role players and backups. You know, Danta Foreman has come back from that Achilles injury and has looked decent enough. But with Roshan Johnson there, and they, you know, they had Ebner, who's probably going to get cut now. I, I like what they had depth chart wise prior to this. So I don't, I don't really know what they're doing. I mean, they're accumulating picks, kind of, but I don't. For what? If they're going to make these kind of decisions, so kind of a big thumbs down for me. And a lot of it's based on what they did in that draft and what they ended up getting with those trades. I, I just think they could have had a potential franchise changing player at one. And again, just by pure luck of it at nine. And they passed on that twice for garbage depth. I, I pretty, pretty disappointing thumbs down for me. Las Vegas has them uh, at seven and a half after winning three a year ago. So they see a slight improvement. Um, you and I actually both took the over, which is nuts. I had them at eight wins. You somehow gave them 10. I, I do not believe in fields. I don't like what they did with the I, – I was happy with the direction the Bears were going prior to this draft, and I don't like their free agency moves. I don't like what they did in the draft. I think their trades were bad, but what do I know? Time will tell. This guy's getting paid the big bucks to run the Bears. Yeah, I mean, I probably a little bit, uh, a little bit bold with ten wins. That'd be a, a big leap for 
for the Chicago Bears. I do like the data. I, I listen. I love that they didn't draft Jalen Carter. I mean, that's starts. So let's start there. Um, to your point of them bouncing out of one, which you know some people don't agree with, but if they believe in in Justin Fields, and that's that's the right play. Um, and we'll sure. see what they end up doing with these picks. Um, you know, they they still have an extra first next year, so they're they're kicking the can. You know, they're still in a position where they could potentially make a move up, like for uh, Caleb Williams next year. If they suck again and they hold a top five pick and they're sitting with another first round in their pocket, they're not that far away from potentially going up to one. And, uh, you know, unless Arizona, (laughs) who's probably the worst team in the league right now, you know, is just hell bent on them. But, you know, and they're picking and Arizona's going one and two. So it's hard. Yeah, it's really hard to leapfrog the team that can just reset their offense potentially with Caleb Oof. Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr. But you know, there's there's a path for these Bears, and and I think Jalen Carter would have been a linchpin in the middle of this defense. But they're trying to rebuild a culture, and he did have some warts on him. He fits perfectly in Philadelphia. There's a lot of strong personalities, but they spent so much unnecessary money. They went through the bag at trade. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds. Then they go and overpay TJ Edwards. So two linebackers. Uh, and then I they, think the Bears have the most money they, tied up in inside linebackers in all of football. And it's by a giant margin. They also still have the most cap space this year, which just goes to show you where you know they, they had money to spend. Let me let me see if I can do this. You know, a couple teams have done this recently where they, I think the Colts a couple years ago, a year ago, uh, the Browns a few years ago, where the, these teams had an obscene amount of cap space and then they didn't spend it all. And people were like, oh, wait till next year. They're really going to blow through this money. And I, it hasn't worked with any other team that I can recall at all. It's like you kind of, if you got it, you should either spend it or don't spend any of it instead of giving out a few, you know, bigger contracts than you should just because you can. Uh, most teams have not done it properly. Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough to differentiate here. I'm looking at, at spot track and the you know, pay per position, but a lot of teams running like three fours. Their linebackers are getting paid like tons of money. Like the Chargers have $47.4 million committed to the linebacker position, but that's Bosa and you got Khalil Mack. The Bears are all the way yeah. down at 26.7 mil, but those are for true linebackers, <laughs> right? So it, it, it's hard to, to to split that out. But, yeah, I mean, time will tell. They, they got better. They kicked all their pass catchers down with the addition of DJ Moore, who I do believe is an alpha, you know, and having Darnell Mooney and Chase Claypool there, you know, to fill the void, a, a, a viable tight end in Cole Komet. They bolstered their running back room. You know, they I, I think they're – they're making the right moves here for, like we said, when we started this, this division is going through ch- change, you know? So, you know, take a shot at it. I think they're going to be super competitive this year. Um, 10 wins is a bit bold. Uh, probably eight or nine wins is probably where I would prefer to land uh, on that. And I think even that's, would you say, where's, where's Vegas have them? Are they at seven and eight? Seven and, and a half. half. Yeah. Which is about the lowest bar. I think they don't go under six and a half. Um, so, you know, they're not, they're not getting giddy um, for these bears. And I guess only time will tell. So from them on to the team that won the division with 13 wins last year, the Minnesota skull Vikings. And uh, if you haven't heard by now, they released Dalvin cook. Um, <laughs> what <laughs> breaking news. Um, they also re-signed Alexander Madison 
to a two-year, $7 million deal. That, for simple math, is $3.5 million per year. That is not a huge financial commitment to the running back position. Everyone just thinks he's like the runaway favorite. I think he gets the first shot, but there's there's no financial incentive to them. It's here, here's a quick right. Matt. I got a Madison tangent here. Uh, I for the last, how long has Madison been in the league? Two years, three years, three four years, three, four was, years. It, yeah, it was four years. The last came in four years, the last four years, tons of people, podcast, Twitter, anywhere go. Man, this Matson's good. If he ever gets a run at this job, you better look out. And then now this year, they clear the deck. They get, you know, there there was that talk before they even cut Cook, where they were putting out promo material, and Matson was on it, and not Cook, and they were like, "Huh, writing's on the wall." The team likes him. Fantasy community has liked him in the backup role, asking for more work. He gets the more work, and I feel like everybody's pumping the brakes, going. Ooh, I don't know about this Matson guy, but I'm in my back of my head. I'm like, hasn't everyone been asking for this for two or three years? Yes. I mean, he was the premier handcuff because he was pretty much a one for one replacement for Dalvin Cook whenever he got injured. But what we haven't seen is Alexander Madison with any substantial workload. I mean, he's maxed out at 134 attempts and 32 receptions. And that was in 2021. It is also when he had his lowest yards per attempt average and, you know, kind of was exposed a little bit in extended use. So I don't see him being a 200 carry 50 target guy. I don't. I mean, I know we took him in, in one of those startups as like our running back, like three or four. And that's, that's all well and good. Um, I think Dwayne McBride could end up eating into a lot of the, the rushing downs work. And then they still have Ty Chandler, who I think has upside. He's extremely fast. Um, decent pass catcher. And then, you know, Keenan Wongo, who will be active as well uh, because of special teams. So there's just a lot of like, there were, you know, they're, they, they don't want to have that one guy anymore. You know, they just want a bunch of other guys whose salaries equal less than that one guy. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not out on Madison, but I mean, everyone just anointing him um, because of what we wanted to see over the last several years. I think it's people a little bit over their skis. I'd be surprised if he was an RB1 this year. I would. I just don't think he's going to get the utilization for it. So that's my thing on Madison. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in between the extremes on both sides. I think he'll probably, he's a top 20 back and he's worth drafting. I'd rather have him as my running back three than my running back two in like a redraft league. But only because the rest of the guys don't scare me enough to... Uh fully fade him because I'm not the biggest McBride fan. I, I think he's a good running downs back, but still think he's a liability and he has fumbling issues that just won't play in the NFL. And then Ty Chandler, he's fast, but he's, he's already NFL old as well. And then Kino Wongo, again, fast, but you know, he's not really, he didn't even really do much as a running back in college memory. Yeah, the, so the fact that he hasn't even been able to get on the field as a running back really so far, when yeah. they knew, when they knew they weren't keeping Cook, probably two years ago, it's like yeah. they never even kicked the tires on this guy except for special teams. So that was my concern with him because I did like him coming in. I thought he had big play potential, but they like, like I said, they yeah. never obviously they knew what they had in him. They they gave him all of nine carries for fourteen yards last year. So that was that was what Mwango put on the tape for for these Vikings. So from there, Josh Oliver's the only other. Offensive skill position player of note. He got three years, $21 million. 
more of the pass catcher, sorry, more of the blocker than the pass catcher. I mean, that's going to be reserved for Hawkinson. So Josh Oliver has zero fantasy value outside of a Hawkinson injury because we've seen what, what Kirk Cousins likes to do um, regarding targeting the tight end position, but he was brought in for depth and for blocking. In the draft, they went and got Jordan Addison at 124. This was like the dream landing spot for every rookie, and it goes to a technician like Addison. It's a great hand-in-glove fit with him and Justin Jefferson playing off each other for the foreseeable future. Jaron Hall, undersized project quarterback in the fifth round. Already mentioned Dwayne Danny McBride at 705. He'll make the team. Maybe he carves out a little bit of a role as a, a running back. They had 13 wins last year. Very surprising 13 wins for most people, not me. But they are only projected at eight and a half at minus 130 uh, Caesar Sportsbook this year. So a lot of regression for those Vikings. And and I agree with it. So what I see from this team is the, I'm dubbing them the sons of anarchy. They are punting defense in 2023. And that is great news for Jefferson, Hawkinson, Addison, Madison, and even Cousins' son, <laughs> managers. It's a, so, it's a fucking – I like that walk. It's the strangest thing. As I was, like, looking through it, I'm like, every one of these fucking guys, their, their name is – and their, and their suffix is son. So that's what they are. They're the sons of anarchy. Uh, Before this episode happens. drops, you need to get that trademarked, like the, the fucking – the the three peat thing in the NBA. Somebody made a shit ton uh, of money. Oh, Pat Riley made the money off it. Right? <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, call calling the patent office. Is it patent or trademark? I don't know what trademark. That's trademark. Trademark. Okay, we're we're on it. All right. Dwayne McBride is the best running downs back in the group, but he has feet for hands, and he couldn't catch chlamydia in a you know what house. So his <laughs> claim to fame is that he has more fumbles and receptions in his college career. Nine verse five. At, at UAB, those are facts. I don't care that I saw one clip of him running a you know a slant, and he actually caught the ball at, at Vikings camp. I mean, I, I know that it's possible. He's just not good at it, or and won't be used as it. So just extremely limiting. And he has a case of the fumblies, which will have you out of the NFL quicker than anything else that one could possibly do. Jordan Addison should immediately speed his way into that wide receiver seat that was recently vacated by the corpse of Adam Thielen. Friendly reminder, last year, Adam Thielen played 1,042 snaps and saw 107 targets. That's that's insane when I actually looked that up, that he ran that many routes and that he saw that many targets because that dude is absolute dust. But you plug Addison into that role as a rookie. You tell me he's going to get 107 targets. He's he's the, the wider, rookie wide receiver one this year. Uh, with a bullet. I don't see any of these other guys cracking the 100 target threshold, um, barring it, you know, significant injuries, as much as I like Zay Flowers or what we're seeing from Quentin Johnson or even all the highlights and everyone patting themselves on the back for JSN. I mean, Adam, uh, Jordan Addison just has immediate, immense opportunity for it. I mean, yeah, that's what it's going to be down to. I think they're going to be chasing points every single week. I was really optimistic for KJ Osborne, who should still start in three wide receiver sets, but he's not happening outside of a significant injury. So that is my Minnesota Vikings. And you're going to tell me where I had him as far as a win total. And if you tell me anything north of nine, I will be surprised. This was one of our biggest discrepancies. Uh, I, we have a four win difference here. Um, I had Minnesota winning 12. You have them at eight. 
I was going to say, it can't be four more than that because I'm not projecting him at 16. So right where I thought. <laughs> so I think you're a year too late, Johnny, uh, for this team. <laughs> and I think that, that's probably going to be a black eye for you, buddy. Very possible. They, they could also win 15, 15 and two. Now let's, let's talk about the Kings of the jungle. So the current Vegas win total favorite in this division at nine and a half, the Detroit lions. I, I wonder when the last time they were projected to win the division that hits is probably never to, Fucking 20 years. Barry Sanders time, right? They were bad then. They, they had a couple good years, though. Wayne Fonts and fucking Rodney Pete. And anyway, that's <laughs> going going down a rabbit hole there. But that, that is a long time coming. So what did they do in free agency? They brought back 73-year-old Marvin Jones. They need all the help at wide receiver they can get because these fucking dopes can't stop gambling on games in the facility. Um, They also brought in the aforementioned David Montgomery from the Chicago Bears to, I believe it is the third biggest free agent contract to running back in the last, like, eight seasons. Something close to that. I may be off by a little bit. Uh, in the trade market, they also brought in Denzel Mims. Much like I mentioned with Marvin Jones, they just need warm bodies till these guys can come back from their suspensions. Uh, Jameson Williams, in particular, is out six games. They lost Quintez Cephas, who, as much as we liked him, never did anything. He got the suspension. They got rid of him. Another guy uh, had gotten suspended and they cut who was a nobody. They did lose DJ Chark in free agency. So the, the wide receiver room got thinner. They lost touchdown slug machine, Jamal Williams, your guy uh, to the saints. So Montgomery comes in kind of uh, fills that gap until the NFL draft came around when they took, Oh, and they also traded away Deandre Swift. So a lot of turnover here in the running back room. Going to be interesting to see how the, the, the work had split up. Um, speaking of the running back room, uh, 12th overall pick, they took Jameer Gibbs running back, sub 200-pound running back. We'll see if that holds true with him. I'm a little more cautious just based on the, the, the contract they gave Montgomery and how they're going to use everybody here. I'm, I'm very curious to see how they end up deploying him you know what I mean if he's more of a Kamara type where he ends up being a receiving threat I do like it if they lean on him in the run game a little more I don't it'll be interesting to just see how it shakes out another first round pick Jack Campbell uh linebacker who I like in the second round my guy Sam Laporta my one of my favorite tight ends in this draft great spot for him unfortunately rookie tight ends typically don't do shit so temper your expectations in year one but I love him long term uh, another second round pick, defensive back, third round pick, fifth, third round, fifth pick of the third round. Blah, blah, blah. Can't talk. Hendon Hooker. I have really come around on this pick. I, you know, if, if Hooker does not hurt his knee, there's a chance he's the first quarterback taken in the draft. He's in the conversation. Whether he leaves Frog, you know, Young or Stroud, I don't know. But he's a first-round pick. He he, he leaves Levis for sure. Um, it, 
you know, he's hurt. We talked about this with Green Bay a little bit, giving these guys an opportunity to learn. Not that Goff is, you know, the the NFL <laughs> QB guru who's going to bring somebody along. But Goff's a former first overall pick. He's been, you know, to the Super Bowl. There's a lot you could learn from him. And if, and if they, you know, string Goff along for a couple more years and let Hooker learn from him, I really think this could be a, a sneaky pick long-term for this franchise if they don't do what the Lions typically do and just fall apart if they're only as excited a la the Browns. Um, third round, another pick. They took a defensive tackle, offensive tackle in the fifth. And then we kind of mentioned this uh, episode ago when we talked about Dallas. Seventh round, 12th pick, some wide receiver named Antoine Green, who I've never heard of. And again, at the time, it was, you know, a nothing pick. But as the suspensions and shit started rolling in, <laughs> there's a world where Antoine Green sees snaps these first six weeks of the year. So I, I, he's not on the radar, but it wouldn't be shocking if his name makes a few splashes here and there and pops up throughout the season. So pretty exciting off season for a team that a lot of people are getting excited about. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to like this team. Dan Campbell's a maniac as their head coach. They got a lot of good storylines, you know, Goff as the redemption story, former first overall pick, some of the, the moves they made. You know, if Mims can do something here, that'd be interesting. Giving Montgomery this money, staying in division. It's just, just a good good story, and everyone likes an underdog, and Detroit sucked for so long. And their retro helmets are some of the coolest helmets I've ever seen in my life. I, it's one of my new favorite uh, helmets is that logo from the 60s. Just slap it on that helmet. So Vegas has them at nine and a half, as I mentioned, the favorite. They did win nine a year ago. I have them at seven. You have them at 11. So another four-game uh, gap here. I, you know, we, we see this when we do this every year, kind of Detroit and Cleveland until these teams <laughs> that uh, historically stink, stop stinking. I, I, Air towards the sort the air to the side of history and trends. So I, I'm that's a very optimistic seven. I could I could get to eleven if they start winning some road games, but I think same thing I do every year when we start doing their um schedule breakdown and assigning wins and losses. I I, I think I almost give Detroit over on the road because they are just historically a dog shit road team. So until they can turn that around it's always going to be an uphill battle for them to get into the upper echelon of wins. All right. So they were eight and two over the last 10 games, just missed the playoffs by one game last year. So I feel like you're going to be a year too late rather than a year too early with these Detroit lions. And another fun fact, the last time that the lions actually won the division, I couldn't find out when they were favored to win. So we're, we're projecting, projecting the future that they do win was exactly 30 years ago in 1993. So this would, I was going to guess 91 fuck 33. And at that time they, this, they were not even in the NFC North. It was considered the NFC central central time. So it has been a minute for the better part of the last 25 years. The Packers have been favored (laughs) to win the division for the, Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers reasons previously discussed, but change is a common in this uh, newfangled NFC North. And I think it is going to be 
you know, at the tutelage under the, the iron thumb of Dan Campbell that we see these Detroit Lions host a playoff game this year in Ford Field. That would be like I said, I and, and I, the Lions have always been one of my unofficial favorite teams. <laughs> I got I've got we 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 talked about jerseys in a previous episode. I have a Barry Sanders jersey hanging in my closet in the, totally the old Honolulu Honolulu blue. And mm-hmm. uh yeah, I would I would love to see them be good, but I don't know if it's gonna happen. <laughs> I mean, listen as well. It's you know it's understandable, you know that uh, been hurt too many times. Imagine being a fan of these teams, right? Oh, I mean, imagine being a fan of the Lions or the Browns. Like you just you're you, well, one your expectations are probably so low at this point that you can't. Be no, 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 no. That's the for Detroit. Delu- yes, a delusion. Detroit. Yes, you have no expectations. Those people like to be <laughs> miserable every year. The, the the fucking crazy thing is that the Browns fans every year are like, I think we got a chance to make the Super Bowl this year. Like, so they they get their dicks kicked in annually. Detroit's like, oh yeah, another one of these years. <laughs> you know, they get featured on they get featured on Thanksgiving every year to get murdered in front of every yeah. single fan like in the country. Thanksgiving Day massacre. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Listen, we're only three years away. Three years ago, that the, the Cleveland Browns went eleven and five and actually lost in the divisional round. So they, yeah. they've had a, tasted a little success. They were a playoff team. They won a playoff game in the last handful of years. I mean, so maybe they've just got their, you know, their hopes up again. You know, and and unjustifiably so. But they did win a, a, st- a playoff game against the Steelers. Nonetheless, um, in the last three years, the Detroit Lions have just been an absolute laughingstock. They are the, they are the only one this team in the NFL. <laughs> I mean, they have a moniker that no one else can claim. No, Cleveland tied them. Didn't Cleveland do it once? Uh, futility. Did Cleveland go? Oh, I think they both I totally, did. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fact check so this right. Could now. only be two teams. Ah, two damn teams it! In- I forgot about the 2017 Cleveland Browns. All right, yeah, so listen, these teams are in rarefied air as far as winless franchises in the NFL. It's pretty hard to not win a game. I mean, shit just happens, but you are correct. I mean, they did have a closer 0-16 than than the Detroit Lions, but the Detroit Lions also haven't had a double-digit win season since 2014. I can't believe it happened that recently, actually. I was surprised when I said it as well. They actually went to the playoffs in 2016 as a nine and seven team. That was during the Matt Stafford era. So remember, they were they were competitive with Stafford and Calvin Johnson. They just weren't good. They liked it. Competitive, but not good. <laughs> well, that should that does it for the North. Yeah, th- this is uh of of all the divisions, this is the most up in the air one. So it's kind of fun to talk about who might take you know, what players have to take what steps for which teams to end up being good or who falls flat on their face and then drags the team down with them. So this is uh, one of the more interesting ones. This will be fun to watch throughout the year to just kind of see how everything shakes out with the different changes and personnel and everything in this division. So this was uh, more more unpredictable than a lot of the other divisions we've done. But that should do it for us. Anything else you want to add before we get out of here? 
Mm, no, I think we are good. Who we pick? We we pick in Detroit. Detroit's our team this year. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. Go Lions. <laughs> for myself, John Debari. For Matt, my co-host Matt Walker, and our friends that explain the box score. We are the Fantasy Forty. Go Lions, go! And we are out of here. It's the circle, the circle of life. Probably fifth grade, right? When you're in fifth grade, they mattered. Exactly. Like Dallas, at least, was relevant in the '90s, you know, which is when I was like, like first really getting into football. Then the Giants inexplicably win two Super Bowls with Eli Manning, and it's just like fucking unbearable. Like, are are those two of the worst Super Bowl winning teams of all time, or at least? I mean, obviously, they, they, the one year they had really good defenses, so it's not like crazy. But like, I mean, I it was their people, defense is what ultimately won them both Super Bowls. I mean, people don't think of those teams. You know what I mean? Like even even nah. teams that have these one-off Super Bowl runs, even like Seattle, that was a fucking good Seattle team. The the year the Colts won, would it was that's a pretty good team. I don't think if you had to rank the Super Bowl winning teams. You know, recent history. Good, I don't know what I don't know what the good fuck to say about the the sixty one Packers, but those Giants teams have to be <laughs> in the bottom, right? I like mean, nobody's the, like, ooh. The irony Jimmy is Barber and David. Tyree. I had looked at this. I had looked at this before. So Eli Manning is the definition of average. Eli Manning has oh, won one one hundred seventeen games at. and lost one hundred seventeen games in his career. He is a five hundred quarterback over his power many friggin' seasons. 15, 16 seasons in the playoffs. He either went 0-1 or 4-0. and That's it. Two years, he just ran pure with these 4-0 and Super Bowls. Every other year, four other playoff appearances, one and done. It, it's, it's, it's crazy when you look at it and you get so many of these people like, he's a Hall of Famer. I'm like, he's really not, but he will be because he's got multiple Super Bowls. So he's 100% going into the hall of fame, but he was such just an average quarterback. Like there's, I'm sorry. There's no argument (laughs) other than the fact that Phil rivers, a far better quarterback than Eli Manning. If their situations didn't get swapped, because Eli Manning was throwing a temper tantrum. And yeah, it would have been so fucking, I would have loved to see how this plan played out. It would have been really fucking cool. Yeah. Oh, in Eli's first playoff appearance, uh, he threw for 113 yards and three interceptions. His first first ever playoff appearance. That's great. Good job, Eli. And he came back and lost again the next year, throwing for a sterling 161 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. <sighs> yeah, not so much his fault. Uh, and his playoff suck. loss in 2008, he threw for 169 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. And then to end his playoff tenure, in 2016, he threw for 299 yards, one touchdown, one interception. So probably not solely the reason why they lost that game, but completion percentages lingering in the, the 50% throughout that. His career playoff completion percentage, 60.05. Yeah, he's, he's even a even two to one like TD to interception ratio. It's yeah. Give me a break. 
even that like Trent Dilfer led Baltimore team. Ball, that like fucking Baltimore historic. defense, huh? Yes. All time historic. Yeah, I mean that defense was so fucking good it didn't even matter. I mean like the, the eighty five Bears, you know, it's not like Jim McMahon was fucking incredible, but yeah, th- there's a couple of teams where the defense is so fucking good it doesn't even matter. The offense sucks because or or the flip side, like those uh you know, greatest show on turf fucking Rams teams, the offense was so good it didn't matter what was happening on the defense. But like there's nothing about those Giants teams that has any redeemable quality at all. I mean, I mean Justin Tuck that, and fucking that, Ra- that Raven and, Super Bowl team, you know who they throttled to win the Super Bowl? They beat the piss out of uh, the we were just Giants. About. <laughs> yeah. No. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Giants? Yeah. 34-7. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They uh, they kicked the dicks off them. Was that a Peyton Manning was- team? Or uh, Eli Manning team? That was Kerry Collins. So that was okay. That was before, but still, like, he didn't make it. It, it, it correlates back to the Giants again. Just getting absolutely worked over. Trent Dilfer, what what are you doing in this game? Trent Dilfer threw for a, a 153 <laughs> yards and one touchdown in that game. Threw it 25 times in a game they won 34 to seven. So <laughs> that's uh, that's all you need to know. Uh, yuck. Giants, Giants suck. Yep. Let's just get back. Let's just put a bell on this one. And we'll move forward. 